0: Will you bow your heads with me as I read our prayer for illumination? Lord, as we turn to your word, silence our agendas, banish our assumptions, and cast out our reckless indifferences. Let us hear your truth and be moved to a greater faith to serve you in unity and in love. Amen. Amen. Today's reading comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. You can find it on page 1066 in your pew Bibles. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the full measure of the stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth In love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord.
1: So once again today, I will be leaving immediately after the sermon to go over to the net and preach over there. Uh, So again, I will be slipping out. Don't be offended by that. I'm just trying to get uh, to multiple places in a short amount of time. Uh, Our Old Testament lesson comes from the prophet Jeremiah. We read from the 18th chapter. These are verses 1 through 6. So listen now for the word of God to the church. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord... Come, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, working at his wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as seemed good to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as this potter has done, says the Lord? Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So about eight or nine years ago, my family and I were up in the mountains of North Carolina. We were on the Blue Ridge Parkway, and you might know it. There's a place near Blowing Rock, the Moses Cone Manor. It's been turned into a craft center. And so we went off the parkway and we went into this craft center. And as is often the case, there was an artist out on the porch of the craft center giving a demonstration. And on the day we were there, uh, the, the artist out there specialized in the art of raccoon which is a Japanese pottery technique that produces very small, delicate pieces, and she worked at her wheel with a very, very gentle touch. She never pressed on one side of the clay or the pot without also countering that force with her other hand on the other side of the clay, and with just a hair of pressure, a little more pressure on one side or another, she worked and shaped that raw clay into a beautiful shape. And she told us that later she would take this raw creation and she would fire it at a very, very high temperature. And then while it was still very, very hot, she would pull it out, put it on a heat-resistant surface, and then lay upon it strands of horsehair from a tail or a mane of a horse. And as those strands carbonized, they would leave little burnt trails all around the piece. And it made it... A very, very beautiful finish. It was a remarkable work of art that we were watching. A few years, a few years later, I tried to decide to uh, I decided to try my own hand at a more traditional kind of pottery. I went to the pottery studio up at Montreat. Some of you may know where it is, and I took a handful of earthenware clay and I thumped it right there in the middle of the wheel. I had never done any of this stuff before. I was completely winging all of it. There was somebody kind of giving us some instructions here or there. And I guess it went okay, you know, especially for a first-timer. But I will say that the experience made me really respect these true artists and what they're able to do in clay. This is my finished product from that day. It's on loan from the uh, museum, uh, as you can see. Uh, It is... It is round-ish, you know, it's not completely round. And if you look at it real hard, it's not so level either on the the top. Um, I was kind of happy about how the glaze turned out, and that's probably the best part of it. But even there, you can see, it's almost like I kind of quit at the end. I mean, it just kind of stops. And so it is not a high work of art, Um, but it does kind of give me a taste of why Scripture may choose... This kind of metaphor again and again to describe God uh, as being a potter uh, and to describe us as being clay in the hands of the potter. We're reminded again and again that that's what we are, that we're in the hands of a master artist who's intent on making handfuls of wet dust into something that's beautiful. And as the clay, we are constantly in God's hands with the perfect pressure of divine inspiration always upon us. The Lord is constantly at work in the studio of creation. As Jeremiah puts it, you know, he he takes this metaphor and uses it on several levels. He begins with the challenge that's evident right from the very beginning. We see this, it's not as obvious in the English word order, but the poetic power of Hebrew word order makes this point very, very clearly. The Hebrew is organized to say something like this, God was making something at the wheel. Spoiled it was. Spoiled, this harsh Hebrew verb is the first word that's uttered about this so-called work of art that's in the master's hands, and that word can be translated in some other ways too. None of them great, going to ruin, corrupted, depraved, laid waste, ravaged, felled, polluted. Even the best clay has impurities in it, and potters try their best to get those out before that wheel even begins to turn like sticks and stones. Excess water has to be squeezed out of that clay. And even if you get that raw material in the best condition that you can, things can still go wrong. If the clay is not centered, if it doesn't hold together as the artist hopes that it will hold together, and even in God's studio, it seems, something had gone radically wrong. These lumps of clay in the hands of God, we too have to say that we start out maybe a little spoiled. I love the quote that Reverend Joanna Adams has used before. She said, a saint is someone whose life has not been sufficiently researched. (laughs) (laughs) And it is true. From the best of us to the worst of us, we all have impurities. We all have flaws. We all have the capacity to come apart every now and then. And theologically speaking, we do say that we as humans are depraved, we toss that word around theologically, left to our own devices, we are corrupted, we are felled, we are polluted, we are kind of going to ruin, we are works of art spoiled in the Master's hands. As I said before, I'm not an experienced or particularly talented potter, but I did learn something else in that studio at Montreat. I saw that close to their wheels, many potters keep a big trash can lined with a thick plastic bag, and they toss into that can the spoiled, broken, incomplete projects that just didn't work out so well. And they have a particular name for the clay that gets thrown in that bin, They call it reclaim because that is exactly the intent. That clay is simply waiting to be reclaimed, remoistened, remixed, refreshed so that it may be reused so that the potter can take that clay and try again the vision that God gives to the prophet Jeremiah affirms that God is just this kind of potter. The work is spoiled, but God does not quit on it. God does not just toss it out. The vessel was spoiled in the potter's hand. He reworked it into another vessel as seemed good to him. And then the Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, cannot with Cannot I with you, O Israel, do the same that this potter has done? In the kingdom of God, in the world that's being shaped by the master's hands, the master artisan, that which is spoiled is not tossed out, not tossed aside, but instead reclaimed and given another chance at beauty. That's why we as reformed Protestants, Christians who stand in the tradition of the cleansing reclaim of the Protestant Reformation, we have always embraced an old Latin phrase that describes the church as something that's always being reclaimed, always being remolded into the image of God. The church, we say, affirms ecclesia reformata, semper reformanda, secundum verbum dei. That is, we are the church reformed, always to be reformed. According to the Word of God. That phrase simultaneously reminds us that it is God who shaped us into what we are today, and it is this same God who will continue to mold us into the people that we need to be tomorrow. So, to recap, we are spoiled, we're a little impure, but we are also reclaimed. And this points to the next gospel truth that we find in the clay, and that is this. That which is spoiled will be reworked, and in the end we will be accepted. In one of the greatest sermons of the 20th century, theologian Paul Tillich describes how the spoilage of sin is gathered up and reclaimed and reshaped by the greater influence of God's grace. In grace, Tillich preached, something is overcome. Grace occurs in spite of something. Grace occurs in spite of separation, in spite of estrangement. Grace is the reunion of life with life, the reconciliation of the self with itself. Grace is the acceptance of that which is rejected. And that, Tillich says, is one of the most important truths of faith. The moment for every Christian when we realize that even though we have been spoiled, that we are impure, that we were not rejected. And these are Tillich's words a wave of light breaks into our darkness. It is as though a voice were saying, You are accepted. You are accepted, accepted by that which is greater than you and the name of which you do not know. Do not ask me for the name now, perhaps you will know it later. Do not try to do anything now, perhaps later you will do much. Do not seek for anything, do not perform anything, do not intend anything, simply accept the fact that you are accepted. If that happens to us, we experience grace. And after such an experience, Tillich says, we may not be better than before, we may not believe more than before, but everything is transformed. In that moment, grace conquers sin and reconciliation bridges the gulf of estrangement and nothing is demanded of this experience. No religious or moral or intellectual supposition, presupposition, nothing but acceptance. So as lumps of clay in God's hand, we move from being spoiled to being reclaimed to being accepted. And we don't stop there because last but certainly not least, we move even one step closer to the holy center of God when we say we're not just accepted, we are even treasured. Paul said it in 2 Corinthians, God, it is God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, but we have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. In other words, we may be made of clay, we may be full of impurities, we may be brittle, but we are still so loved and valued by God that God has used us to be vessels for the greatest treasure in the world. And that treasure vested and stored within us creates in us a light that can never be overcome by the darkness. But Paul says it so much better. He says it this way. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. The reminder is that because we are all in the hands of a master artist, this process that we call life is always oriented toward a very specific end, and that end is this. You are a work of art, treasured. God. A few years back, a German-born artist by the name of Anna Shulight set out to explore the ways that art can reclaim something that's broken, something that's painful, and somehow transform it into a thing of beauty. Anna, a painter by training, had just graduated from the Rhode Island School of Design, a very prestigious design institution, and she found herself in a part of western Massachusetts where she had spent a good deal of her childhood. And She actually remembered when she was a child, she had been wandering through the woods, and she came across this big abandoned brick building. And this massive structure was covered with weeds and overgrowth, and the darkness of the place had made a really distinct impression upon her as a child, and she wondered now, was it still there? And as she looked around, she found it was still there. The old Northampton Mental Hospital was just as dark and just as dilapidated and just as scary as she had remembered it from her childhood. It was the setting of every horror movie like that that you have ever seen. And this time, however, Anna looked upon this structure with an artist's eye, and she began to study that building, study it like Claude Monet would study a cathedral or water lilies. She painted it, from all kinds of angles in all kinds of light in all kinds of weather, but she found it all strangely empty and frustrating. She just didn't feel like her art was connecting or touching the scale of the story that this hospital seemed to be telling. So she started venturing into the nearby town, and she started just asking people about that building, and it really didn't take much prompting for the stories to come pouring out. So many people had experiences that were connected to the hospital and the stories that were told by former patients were by far the most difficult. Stories of the pain and suffering of mental illness. Stories about unspeakable crimes and heartbreaking tragedies that took place within those walls. Stories that had never been told but were finally being uttered out loud. There was healing in some of the stories But it was always complicated and always hard. And there were common traits in those stories. Impurities, brokenness, waste, spoilage. I didn't know what to do with these stories, Anna said. I knew there were many more. Many more of many patients whose names I would never know. And I realized that this hospital had absorbed many, many thousands of lives and that there were many more such hospitals around the country. And then she had an idea. What if she thought on one day, maybe even just for a part of a day, this building could somehow be made into an instrument? What if she could find a way to use the rooms, use the hallways, the hollows, and the voids of this structure as sources of sound, pieces of an orchestra? What if the entire flawed reality of this hospital were to become a work of art, if only for an afternoon? And a particular piece of music came immediately to her mind and never left. It was a piece of music that had always been for her a source of inspiration. A proclamation of joy from the humblest of circumstances. And the story of how this artist made all that happen is too long to tell. Suffice it to say that over the next six months, she made her vision a reality. Sound technicians, partners, benefactors, supporters, they came and they went. Deadlines, though, were miraculously met. Down payments were paid in the nick of time, and against all odds, this painter, this visual artist, created a piece of musical art, not as an end in itself, but as a vessel of redemption, as a way to take spoiled stories and somehow transform them into something beautiful. When the day of the event came, a large group gathered at Sage Hall at nearby Smith College, and for several hours, former patients shared their stories of the experiences that they had in that hospital. Again, many of these patients speaking about these things for the first time publicly. All the 650 seats in that auditorium were filled, and Anna remembered thinking, if only these people, if just the people who are here in this auditorium, if they will come up the hill." And listen to the music we have to offer. It will have been worth it. But as the group walked en masse up the old path to the old hospital, she saw that thousands had already gathered all the way around the periphery. They had come from everywhere. A huge group of people, all of them spoiled in some way all of them impure in some way, all of them broken in some way. And as the music started to reverberate through that building and across the hillside, all that had been broken was somehow overcome and reclaimed for just a moment. And people laughed, and they cried, and they held one another. And what had been a place of brokenness was mystically reclaimed and reshaped. What had seemed unacceptable was accepted. What had once seemed shameful became a precious treasure. And it all happened as particular notes and words fell. Notes and words from Bach's Magnificat, the composer's masterwork for chorus and orchestra, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has regarded the lowliness of his handmaiden. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He has filled the hungry with the good things. He has sent the rich away empty. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and forever and ever will be. Amen. Centuries before Jesus was born, the story of the gospel was told in a potter's shed. It's a story of being spoiled, being reclaimed, being accepted, and through it all being treasured. And it is your story, and it is my story, as works of art in the Master's hands. Thanks be to God.